I want us to look in Luke 22, and let me just tee this up for you, what, what was happening, and, and then we'll jump into the heart of the sermon. But in Luke 22, uh, the plot to kill Jesus was, well, I mean, it was ramping up tremendously. And uh, Judas had already gone to the chief priest. He'd already begun to work out the details to betray Jesus Christ. Jesus had just sent his disciples ahead to prepare the Passover, the place where the Passover would be. And uh, in this passage of scripture, they're beginning to make things right. And then we pick up in verse 22 and, and Jesus tells them that one of them is going to betray him. And, uh, and they begin to say, well, who would it be? And not I. And then they begin to have this argument over, well, which one of us is the greatest? And so in verse 22, when we pick it up there, let's just read a few verses, and we're going to come back and see how we unpack that today. But it says, in the same way, it says, for the Son of Man will go away, and uh, he will go away, and it has not been determined who will betray him. So he began to argue among them, they began to argue among themselves, which one it could be. And then they began to argue over who's the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of Gentiles dominate them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become the least like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one who is sitting at the table or the one who is serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you, the one who serves. And you are the ones who stood by me in my trials. And I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and you may drink in my table, in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now look at verse 31. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, for your faith, that it may not fail you. And when you have turned back, that you will strengthen brothers. Lord, he said, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, when the, before the rooster crows three times today, you'll deny me. He also said to them, when I sent you out with a nothing, no money bag, no traveling bag, no sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they answered. And he said to them, but now... Whoever has a money bag should take it. Whoever has their traveling bag, take it. And whoever does not have a sword, sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he counted among the out, he was counted among the rebels or the outlaws. And yes, it was written about me concerning this fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. And he said, that is enough now when we look at this 
It's an interesting dynamic. Because there's a couple of things I see in this passage of Scripture. Our place in the ministry. Our place in the world. Our place in the kingdom. Our spot in what God is doing. When you look at it, he says, you are the twelve. You are my inner circle. You're the ones who are closest to me. And you have a place. They were arguing over where their place was. But Jesus says, your place is where I am. And we get caught up in this concept that we're more concerned about our position than our place. And the place is for us to be close to Jesus. The place is for us to be where he is. And this dynamic, we begin to see this. And, and he talks to them. And he says, you know, in this world, who is the greatest one? The person who has a place at the table or the one serving? And Jesus says, I am the servant. In your world, the one sitting is the greatest, but in my world, the one serving is. And he says, we must assume our place that I am giving you. And this dynamic, they're getting ready. Jesus is about to be crucified. And he begins to talk to them about not just their place, but their problem. The problem that they were facing. What was the problem? The problem was that Satan was wanting to tempt them, was wanting to try them. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. Now that gets a little messy. Sifting process. And you go back, that grinding process, when you think about sifting something, it's that real fine mesh with a wire wheel that literally presses and pushes through, pushes it through all the outer extremities that just the finest thing comes through. And in this dynamic, what he was saying is, Simon, you think you're all that. You're thinking you're doing these things. You're thinking you're the greatest. And he says, I want you to know that Satan is asked to sift you. One translation says he's asked to sift everyone. When you look at it in that context, that's absolutely true. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, we begin the sifting process. The process where we're growing with Christ and the same way we have this war going on within us and that we are a target and that we are caught up in the spiritual warfare. And in this dynamic, he's telling us some things that we can't even begin to comprehend. He says, Satan, I want us, Peter, I want you to know, Simon, he's asked that he's going to sift you like wheat. Now here's an important part. That earlier when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Some said, some of the disciples said, well, some men say that you're Moses. Some others say that you're Elijah. And Jesus stopped them. He said, but who do you say that I am? <clears throat> Simon said, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Simon. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which was his full name. Kind of like when your mom would call you with your full government name. You knew you were in trouble. And uh he said, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. He said, your name will no longer be Simon Bar-Jonah, but it will be Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. You may remember uh, when we've been going through this sermon series, Say Yes to the Mess, we talk about the dynamic of, of, uh, of Peter and, and, I mean, of um, Jacob, when sometimes he was acting like a Jacob, sometimes he was acting like an Israel. 
Sometimes he was acting like his old nature. Sometimes he was acting like his new nature. But in this passage of Scripture, here's what God says. Simon, Satan has asked for you, and it's a problem. Because he wants to sift you as weed. He wants to try you. He wants to tempt you. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And in that, we see the provision. That there was a problem, but before there was ever a problem, God had already provided the need. Are you with me, church? Before there was ever a problem, God had already provided the need. And the need was that Jesus was praying for Peter. He says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you. That when you return, and when you look at this passage of Scripture, I'm praying for you. And here's what he says. I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail you. That's important. That your faith may not fail you. And when you have come back, when you repent and have returned, that you can strengthen the brothers and sisters. See, we had a problem, but God had already made a promise. He said, I'm praying for you. You know why that's important today? Because the Bible teaches us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's seating at the right hand of God the Father. And his only job is to intercede for us. Whenever Stephen found himself in a conundrum and they were about to, they were stoning him. Stephen said he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. You remember that passage of Scripture? And now in this dynamic, what he is saying here is he says, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to go to jail. And he said, I tell you something, Peter. Before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. He says, but remember what I started in. See, Simon Peter had a place at the table. Simon Peter had a place in the argument over who was the greatest. He didn't mind saying what was on his mind. I like to say about Peter, sometimes he couldn't say anything right. You remember that one time he said something and Jesus said, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me. Sometimes Peter couldn't say anything right. Sometimes he couldn't say anything wrong. You are the son of a living God. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. It was revealed to you by the Spirit. Peter had a place in the family of God. We have a place in the family of God, but Peter had a problem. And it was that he was a target, and we're a target. We're a target, and Satan is after us. And he's trying to do these things in our hearts and our lives, and he's trying to derail us. You've heard me many times make this statement that, you know, Satan loses one or two here or there. People give their heart to Jesus, that's one thing. But when people are sold out, when they're bought into the promise, when people are making statements like, I'm ready to go to prison for Jesus. I'm ready to go to the guillotine for Jesus. All of a sudden, 
that gets his attention. And here's what he says. Look at it. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You know what that means? It means there's a hedge about the children of God. There's a hedge about the children of God. And the other thing that that means is so important is that Satan has limits. And we could go back to the Old Testament and look in the book of Job and see that he could do no more than God permitted him to do. Sometimes in these limits, it exposes our true nature. What was the true nature of Simon in this moment? Standing around a campfire, he was so overcome with fear. The one who had, who had pulled out the sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, the courageous Peter, the one who had walked on water, the one who had pronounced, Thou art the Son of the living God, found himself scared of a little serving girl. And he denounced Jesus Christ. She said, aren't you one of them Galileans that's been hanging out with Jesus? No, no. No, you got me mixed up. No, 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 I haven't been hanging out with Jesus. Three times. She asked three different questions. Same question, three different ways. And every time he gave the same answer. You know, in our life, what happens is... Uh, and we sell out to Jesus and we start walking this thing out. And when we're walking it out, all of a sudden, it doesn't remove our sin nature. God doesn't take away our anxious spirit. He doesn't take away the fears that you may have. He doesn't take away the paranoias that you may live with. He just says, fear not. He doesn't take away the, the things that you struggle with in your life. But what he does is he wants to give you victory over them. Salvation is not removing the obstacles. Salvation is teaching you how to have victory over them. And Peter had a problem. And in the foreknowledge of Jesus Christ, he knew the outcome. He knew the outcome. I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. Son, a little serving girl is going to make you renounce me. A little girl. Sometimes it's little things that we do to renounce Christ. Sometimes there's big things that we do to creep into our life. But nevertheless, little or big, they all create a mess. You know how many decisions it takes to change your life for the good or bad? One. One. Peter had a mess. But you know something? Peter had, Peter had a promise. And the promise was, I'm praying for you. And here, here's what he says. When you come back, there's going to be value in the heartbreak. There's going to be value in the rejection. There's going to be value in your failure. There's going to be value in where you've given up. There's going to be value. 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 
And when you come back, strengthen the brothers because you know what it'll be like. You know what it's like to have been so close to Jesus that you were saying things like, Thou art the Son of the living God. You know what it's like to have been so close to Jesus. He's looking at you saying, Get behind me, Satan. You know what it's like. To renounce him at the campfire. You know what it's like to be with him in the garden. You know what it's like to be carried in his arms while walking on the water. And you know what it's like to be restored. And when you come back, you will be able to do stuff that nobody else can. Wow. He had a problem, but he had a promise promise was that God had already made the provision see in our hearts and lives sometimes things can get a little sloppy sometimes we make simple mistakes sometimes we make intentional mistakes sometimes we make mistakes and we commit them it's all about temptation whether you commit a major crime or a minor rejection. It's all about the power of temptation. What happened for Peter? He was tempted. And when he was tempted at the campfire, he feared his life. And he made the wrong mistake. And as a church, we're to embrace that dysfunction. We're to embrace that mess. We're to embrace that so that we can be made whole, that we can be strengthened, that we can minister to people in a way that we could never understand ministering to people before. Think about this. What God is saying in this situation is, Peter, I'm permitting you to be tempted so that it can expose your weaknesses because right now you think you're something and I love you so much that I'm going to use the devil to sift you as wheat so that he can brush away the shaft the coarse edges in your life so that you can be beneficial for the kingdom when Peter said uh, thou art the son of the living God he said, I'm going to change your name to Peter, Petros, which means rock in the Greek. And he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Doesn't mean he was setting Peter up as the first pope. What it means is that he was saying, you are going to be the catalyst. And I'm going to tell you something today. I believe with all of my heart, I can't prove it and you can't disprove it. We'll just have to wait till we get to heaven to figure it out. But I believe the Peter in Acts chapter 2 would never have existed if God had not removed the hedge, if God had not allowed him to be sifted, if God had not allowed him to be tempted, if God had not allowed him to fail. He could have never been the Peter of the book of Acts. It says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. In the church, when people's lives get a little broken, we like to cut and run. 
As a matter of fact, the church likes for him to cut and run. It's easier for him to just slip away than to have to deal with it. But boy, he never gave up on Peter. He said, son, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And when you return, you're going to strengthen people like never before. So there was two things in this that we understand. There was the opportunity to expose his weakness. He failed at the opportunity. But even though Jesus knew he was going to fail, he said, I'm still going to give you the provision you need. And when you return, so we see the failure, we see the walking away, but we see the coming back. You know what's so interesting in this dynamic of this story? Is the walking away. <clears throat> A few days later after this. Jesus was crucified. Placed in the tomb. Rose again. They still didn't know what to do. Peter went back to the boys. And he said something like this. I'm going fishing. turned and walked away and he went back fishing now to us that meant he was going to enjoy a recreation and get his thoughts together out on the big blue lake but for Peter it meant something different see before he ever signed up for Jesus he was a fisherman he said you know what boys I have messed this up I'm, I'm just going back fishing. It's all I'm good at. Why do you think Peter was the first one to the tomb? Well, the first man to the tomb. i tell you why I think he was. Because the last thing he remembered was denying Jesus at the campfire. I think he wanted to see Jesus so bad that if he, Jesus rose again, he wanted one more chance to look him in the eyes and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've messed this up. And I think he wanted one more opportunity. But when he got there, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. It was empty. When he got back to the upper room, his hope was lost. And he said, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going back. I'm going back to my old way of life. The end of the book of John, when Jesus found him, you know what he was doing? Fishing. Fishing. And Jesus said at the book of, end of the book of John, he looked out there and Jesus was sitting by the campfire on the beach. He said, boys, y'all catch anything? There was something about that voice. Took Peter all the way back to the first time he ever encountered Jesus. When Jesus said, let's go fishing, Peter said, Lord, we've toiled all night and there's nothing. 
He said, nevertheless, let down the net at your word. And Jesus found him out there by that campfire. When Peter realized it was Jesus, when he caught a glimpse of Jesus, the Bible says he jumped out of the boat. He didn't wait for him to turn around. He didn't wait for him to get that thing to row and get back in. I'm telling you, he jumped out of the boat and he took off. And he began to run to Jesus and sitting on that seashore at the end of the book of John, chapter 21, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And getting aggravated, he said, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. And he said, take care of my little children. The moment of restoration and reconciliation in the body of Christ happened at that moment. God took a fisherman and made him into a, a minister. The world took a minister and made him into a fisherman. And God took a failure, a man who had renounced him three times, not once, three times, said, son, I'm not finished with you yet. We as a church are to embrace the brokenness. We're to embrace the dysfunction. We're to embrace the failure. You say, oh, pastor, you don't know how bad they are. Can they be any worse than looking and publicly renouncing Jesus Christ? No, I'm not with Jesus. No, I'm not with Jesus. I don't know him. Wait a minute. A few hours earlier, you said you'd go to the prison with him. You'd die with him. No, I don't know him. There was a promise, but there was a provision. I love this, and I've never saw it before in this context. But immediately after this, Jesus takes them back, and he says, uh, Hey, guys. He says, You remember? Let me read it for you in this one translation. He says, uh, You remember when I sent you out? You remember when you went out, and uh, verse 35, I sent you out to preach the good news, and you didn't have any money? And you didn't have a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals. He said, did you need anything then? Or did you do without? You had no money. You had no food. You had no sandals. No extra sandals. But did you do without? And this is what I've never saw before. Verse 36. But now he said, take your money and your traveler's bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your coat and get one. Here's what I never saw before. Do you remember when I sent you out with nothing? And you were faithful with nothing? He said, now pick up your money bag. And your traveling bag. You started with nothing. And now you have something. And you remember between nothing and something who provided that for you? I did. I did. And I'm going to be faithful to provide for you, Peter, exactly what you need. You know what happened? Exactly what God said was going to happen. Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up, really kind of indignant and angry. It wasn't like he had a good sermon to preach that day. He was really ticked because they looked at the disciples and people began to say, these guys are drunk and they don't make any sense they're speaking in tongues and he stood up man he let out a, a good tongue lashing he 
finished and 3,000 people gave their heart to Jesus. Wow. The man, the fisherman, the fisherman, a minister, the minister of failure, the failure, the foundation for what we enjoy here today. Do you realize God built his church on a failure? On a man who publicly renounced him? A man who failed the sifting test? Well, tell me God can't do something with you. And we as a church need to embrace the failure. Embrace the broken. Embrace the people who fall in love with Jesus and then fail the sifting. Because God said, just wait. I want to show you something.